Hello and welcome to another edition of Spotlight, the Star Trek podcast where we analyse Star Trek from a non-tracky perspective. My name's Liam Dempsey, I'm joined by my usual co-host, Matt. Hello everyone. And Paul. Oh, it's good to be back. As always, and we're joined by a very special guest, podcasting king, Chris Hewitt. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> so modest. Oh, God, you, you guys, you guys. Uh, yes, I accept that. Yeah, hello. How are you all? Very, very well, uh, mate. Well, as well as we can be during this very weird time that we're currently going through. Mm. Uh, protracted now, protracted lockdown. Yes, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's going on too long now. Are you at the point now where you've stopped uh, saying... Despite the circumstances, because <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I just kind of automatically, how do I, 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 hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing all right. I'm doing okay. And then I go, oh no, despite the circumstances, <laughs> despite everything that's going on, I'm doing all right. Now that's it's the, the whole thing, isn't yeah. It? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like usually, my standard. That's the thing. Usually, when people ask you kind of how you are, my standard was always like, not too bad, mate. And now I'm like, nah, pretty fucking bad, actually. Like, I'm kind of losing my fucking mind right now. I'm willing to turn now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I grab people well, by I the lapels. Ever since the Cummings affair, I've just been, like, relaxed anyway. I think, you know, it's just it's a signal from our betters that, you know, there's nothing to be taken seriously, really. So, yeah, there's, there's, there's that. Absolutely. Well, Absolutely. Detective Lucerne, you're still actually going into an actual office and working, aren't you? I've never stopped apart from two weeks. Uh, hol- I mean, hol- 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 um, I was going to say a holiday, but it was meant a uh, special leave for, you know, uh, isolation. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you did actually wow. have to isolate at one point, didn't you? Yeah, symptoms. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it may have just there. been a, a heavy cold, but who's to know? Well, that's the thing. No one, no one I'm not really, rich enough to get really tested, know, so they, it's anybody's guess. Can't go to hospital or anything. And, um, <laughs> well, I'll tell you yeah, what, no, I know. Weird. I know. My ho- one of my housemates is a scientist here. She gets a test every week, and so we know by proxy if uh, we're all fucked. <laughs> what well, she gets? She gets a test every week. Yeah, mate. Yeah, up the thing up the nose. You scrape the brain, and then uh, like a day yeah. later, or sometimes even half a day later, oh, you negative, negative. So we, yeah. we know She's the deal. She's actually working on the virus, isn't she? Yes. Yeah, there is yeah, nothing. Yeah. There's no answers. <laughs> I um I had a test the other day as well, and it is very unpleasant. Oh, you've done it, Paul. I think you've done the only it. saving grace is that you do it. Yeah, I've had one, and I had because well, I've been twice. I've had I think I, well, the first time there was no testing, so it's just like you're on your own. It'll send around the body bag if it goes wrong, and um and then second time was uh you know they actually had testing, so I drove up to the Amex and uh, went to the drive through, and uh, gave you the Blair Murray comes out with a massive swab. <laughs> Have you been tested, Chris? Well, it, I haven't. I haven't. I've been pretty much uh, housebound for the last three months since we went lockdown. But that's that's crazy. So so initially for the first test, they just sent out a swab to you and trusted that you didn't trip and fall and impale yourself. Yeah, it was the it was the pencil trick from Dark Knight. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I, yeah, this this could be the perfect murder in so many ways, you know. And this could be this could be another Columbo episode if they ever brought him back. He doesn't have COVID, ever... but he is dead. Well, well so Sophie yeah. felt because she was in the back seat having to administer it to the baby, who's one, and oh, you know, his, oh one of his birthday God. presents was getting a swab test. And uh, but that Sophie couldn't couldn't like keep it together because I was in the front gagging like go, <laughs> you know, just because you got to stick it out your throat. You know, and uh, like it just—I was spraying saliva all over the car. It's very disgusting. It's very disgusting. But 
Um, the worst part is you you got to do your nose afterwards. But the good thing is you know you got to do it in that order. Uh, don't do your nose first, then the back of your throat. <laughs> oh, well, so hang on. So the same swab has to go into your throat and then your nose. Correct. The same, not the same end, surely. You, you must switch the ends, right? No, the same end. Because you could <laughs> contaminate otherwise. You got you can't touch the end. No wonder they can't tell how many people yeah. have got this thing. No, they're doing it right. It's like that gag in Idiocracy where the guy's like, you stick this up your bum and this in your throat. Oh, wait a minute. Other way around. shoved it up his ass. I mean, that's just, that's crazy, isn't it? That's, oh, God, we're all going to die. Anyway, Holy water, where's my acid? Matt, <laughs> can, can yeah. I ask, mate, are you topless? This is fucking peep show. No, what do you call this? There. What do you call uh, this? What? what? Fucking hot in here, mate. Open, top <laughs> just, Liam, everybody's the naked under their clothes. Miami Vice uh, crime-solving shirt to right. on, on screen, our continuing series. So I don't yeah, know if anything that, 70s true. enough. We are here to do our second episode of On Screen, uh, the thread of our podcast where we talk about a big member of Star Trek alumni who guest starred on another iconic TV show. In the first episode, we did George Takei, on Miami Vice, and on this episode, we're doing William Shatner in Columbo, the first of his two appearances in the show. We are joined by Empire Magazine's Chris Hewitt to help us dissect it. Now, Chris, I think most of our listeners will already know who you are. Uh, they're probably fans of Empire and the podcast, but for those who don't know, who are you and what do you do? <laughs> Who's your daddy and what does he do? Uh, I am Chris Hewitt. Hello, thank you. Uh, and I am the host of the Empire podcast and associate editor at Empire. And no, I don't know what that means uh, or indeed what I do at Empire, apart from host and edit the podcast and try not to have a nervous breakdown whilst doing so. That's pretty much that's pretty much it. And if, in case you don't know what Empire is, it's the world's biggest movie magazine, and the uh, the podcast is the award losing arm of that magazine <laughs> just nice to be nominated <laughs> it's not well we don't even get nominated most times in fairness you know so <laughs> i like how you threw award that in, snubbed in terms of like in case you don't know we're well, the world's fucking biggest film magazine right so if you don't know the fault lies with you yeah on, on, on awards actually just a little segue into i looked at william shatner's uh, wikipedia to see what he's doing but he did you know he was a double winner for razzies in the same year for what was he yeah, worst actor and worst director, Star Trek V. Oh, of course. Oh, that's unfair. Unfair, very unfair. Swept the board. Where do you stand uh, on the Star Trek V debate, Chris? Uh, it's a big shit sandwich. Or should I say a big <laughs> no. shat sandwich? Matt and Shats I are sandwich. big defenders of Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. It's Paul who's the unbeliever when it comes to The Final Frontier. <laughs> <laughs> he has he's yet to meet God. Well, in fairness, you know, I uh I know you've had James from our podcast on uh, in the past and James is a massive 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 Trek fan and I am more of a dabbler. I'm a, I'm a Trek dabbler. And uh so I you know, I love a lot about the next gen, uh but I haven't really ever dabbled in Deep Space 9 or Voyager. I never saw an episode of Enterprise. But, you know, I know and like a lot of the movies, but The Final Frontier is one that kind of just passed me by a little bit. I saw it when it came out, didn't like it very much. Obviously, remember the bit with Spock's, you know, gravity-defying boots and the bit where Scotty bumps his head. But otherwise, I couldn't tell you a single moment from that movie, um, which, is a, which is a shame. So, therefore, I think that's why I think it's probably rubbish, but I'm willing to be converted. There you go. 
Time to do a rewatch, Chris. All you have um, to do is open your heart. <laughs> yeah, I've got the box set. I've got the box set. I'll take it hey, out. If you've got the box set, we're in lockdown. Go, go for it. What is your favourite Star Trek film that you've seen? <laughs> oh, I'm going to be really, really um, kind of cliched and, and corny here, and it's obviously Insurrection, um, <laughs> which is just no. It's uh, Rathacan, uh, and then I uh, have you. a deep, deep, deep abiding love. Even though I think what he did on Star Wars is egregious, I have a deep love for the first Abrams Trek, mm-hmm. which is great. I couldn't believe it when the bartender told me who you are. Why are you talking to me, man? Your father was captain of a starship for 12 minutes. He saved 800 lives. Including yours. I dare you to do better. Enlist in Starfleet. You will experience fear. Fear in the face of certain death. Pull your chute! We received a distress call. I've been waiting for this day my whole life. This day of reckoning. I've got no captain and no first officer to replace him. Yeah, we do. You are capable of deciding your own destiny. The question is... Which path will you choose? James T. Kirk was a great man, but that was another life. They're locking torpedoes. Emergency evasive! Fire everything! Less said about Into Darkness, the better. But yeah, yeah, for me, it's it's Ratha Khan, which is fantastic. Yeah, that's my favorite Star Trek. I mean, we'd agree about both of those, really. I think when we we did a ranking episode of the movies, and I think on our combined ranking, Star Trek 09 actually controversially came out on top for us, which kind Ooh. of shows our non-Trekky uh, credentials. Uh, but Rafa Khan was definitely a strong uh, number two. And we've actually had the producer of Rafa Khan, Robert Salin, on the podcast twice. Um, and he's an amazing mm. dude. Um, so, yeah, that, that film is, is quality. That's not bad. That's not bad at all. Um, yeah, I'd actually say that it's probably the Final Frontier that's a strong number two in terms of Star Trek, but uh, <laughs> that's a hell of a get. That's a hell of a get. Uh, oh, he wow. was our, I mean, really, he was our first big guest from the world of Trek um, who came yeah. on, and we were very lucky to get him that, hence having him on twice, because he was just such good fun. Mm. He, he's an awesome Especially dude. Especially getting to meet him the second time around. That wasn't yeah. in person, wasn't it? Yeah, so that, that, was, was that was amazing. Yeah, second time. Yeah, he's such a cool guy. Uh, yeah, we, we love Bob. Uh, so big shout out to him, hundred percent. I think it would be remiss of us to, you know, as you did say earlier, this unfortunate news in the world of film today. Yes, I think we would all like to dedicate this episode to Mr. Joel Schumacher. 
Um, the director, unfortunately, has passed away uh, after a year-long battle with cancer today. We, we, we're all genuinely, we're, we're big fans of this man's work, I would say, in terms of our kind of associations with Batman and Robin go way back. <laughs> I, I, I first saw it uh, in 1997 in a critic screening, actually, funny it, enough, because this, it's, is, a, it's, this is a weird it's one. It's our showgirls. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's what everybody says showgirls should be in terms of like a, a group experience. Yes. The best it's, man. Yeah. It's yeah, for us, exactly. it's ours. Like, yeah. um, back in 1997, I was 12 years old and I was a junior film reviewer on my local paper, uh, the Daily Echo. So I used to oh. get sent to uh, critic screenings of films uh, back then. And one of them was Batman and Robin, uh, which I gave the full 10 out of 10 to back at the time. <laughs> so it was best Batman film ever. Fucking incredible. Later oh. on, I would revise my score. However, in... Two- 9 out of 10. <laughs> in 2005, <laughs> we did kind of like an all-night. We were making a, we were making a short film together and we wanted to do a kind of uh-huh. early morning filming shoot. And so we had to stay up all night. And I dug out the VHS of Batman and Robin and we watched that. And I think after that, that was it. We were kind of bonding in, the our, trash. in our love for Batman and Robin. And yeah. it's become like a thing since then. <laughs> we've, we've all rewatched this countless times, right? Well, yeah. I mean, we love it so much, don't we, Liam, that we went and saw it at the Prince Charles the night after we'd finished the seven film Stallone marathon at Stallone the same Nighter, screen. Yeah. <laughs> So we did a Stallone all night, oh and then God. immediately went right back to finish off a Batman and Robin. You must have smelled tremendous. Oh, oh, it, it was ripe, and we watched the 4K restoration of Batman and Robin. And I mean, yeah. It's because it, it deserves it. 100%. It deserves 100%. a 4K restoration. I mean, it is one of those yeah. things where I was like, I would say Batman and Robin is one of the most enjoyable films you could ever watch and i mean you know you'll never see it it's like again from a major studio with that much camp (laughs) yeah 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 exactly it's as as if like they did like if they bought back like roger moore like and did another bond film brought him back from the dead and just did one in just right after the daniel craig films (laughs) so he comes back and he's got what nipples on the safari suit is that (laughs) I mean, I think we've come out the other side, haven't we, with Batman and Robin? And now there's things we genuinely... or Obviously, you know, you can laugh at it and stuff, laugh along, enjoy it. But there's things we genuinely like about it now, aren't there? Yeah, we were, like, compiling them, weren't we? And, and we kept noticing new extras. Yeah. Like, there's the amount of, like, bit-part characters and extras that do something that just demands the screen, just grabs your attention. It's like, oh, this time I noticed this guy and that random yeah. scientist. And it's just a, an embarrassment <laughs> of riches in supporting characters. And I bid... 15,000 for the beautiful <laughs> Magnolia. <laughs> that guy is incredible. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. Hi there. And you are... Poison. Poison Ivy. Mmm. <gasps> Why not send Junior home early? I've got some wild oats to sow. On the other hand, youth does have its advantages. Endurance, stamina. Forget the geriatric bat. Come join me. My garden needs tending. I'll take it from here, pal. Wouldn't you like the earrings too? Some lucky boy's about to hit the honeypot. 
I'll include an evening of my company for the winner. I'll bring everything you see here, plus everything you don't. <laughs> I bet $50,000 for poison ivy. <laughs> One million dollars. Two million. You don't have it. Three million. I'll borrow it from you. Four million. Five million. That's a utility belt, not a money belt. Six million. Seven million. <laughs> Never leave the cave without it. You two boys aren't gonna start fighting over little old me now, are you? I love it. <laughs> and, you know, Joel, he, he did some great moves. Falling down. Falling Down's a great film. Eight millimeter. Let's give it this due. Eight mil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. yeah, 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 yeah. Like yeah. Uh, that's like the hardcore remake for the nineties. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think eight millimeter got slagged when it came out, but you know, I, I do actually think that is a it is a good flick. Plus, it's got Gandolfini in it. Yeah. Wasn't yeah. that the last film he did, or the first film he did rather? After Batman and Robin, I seem to yes. recall that it was. Yeah. And it was basically yeah. him going, I can do other things <laughs> now. I'm not just that guy. I could do this as well. Really hardcore depressive stuff with Nick Cage going, <laughs> So, yeah. Versatile I am. Come highly recommend Mr. Wells. You're praised for your discretion. Thank you, ma'am. As you know, my husband passed away recently. Yes. My husband was the only one with the combination to the safe. These were my husband's private things. I didn't. I didn't realize. Do you want to tell me what you found, Mrs. Christian? Private Detective Tom Wells is one of the only people who has seen it. It is eight millimeters wide. It runs at 16 frames per second. And he has been hired to discover... All I want is to know what this atrocity is false. I want the proof of it. If what's on it is real. Finding the guys who made this film is going to be very difficult. I need information. I thought you might be able to help. You name the vice, I name the price. I'm going to tell you, there's things that you're going to see that, that you can't unsee. They get in your head and they stay there. Some doors should never be opened. Tom, where are you? You dance with the devil. The devil don't change. The devil changes you. Because once you go through... There's no going back. No! Nicholas Cage. I'm trying to understand! Whoever you were, just forget about it. I can't. There's no one left to finish this but me. Eight millimeter. A film by Joel Schumacher. I, I really liked him. I never had the uh, the pleasure of interviewing him, but apparently he was an absolute riot and a hoot to interview him. He was very self-aware and was very conscious of what he'd made 
or unleashed upon the world in Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, neither of which I have much affection for, but uh, I do like a lot of his other stuff. Lost Boys, for example, is tremendous. Who, who could you compare him to? Because this is like an openly gay director, one of the mm. few in his time, in his era, to be out and making kind of things with a, a bit of a slice of camp in them as well. You know, this sort of, who could you possibly compare him to? I don't know if he's the John Waters of superhero films or... <laughs> that's that's excellent. Yes, yeah, the bit where George Clooney eats uh, dog shit in Batman and Robin. <laughs> <laughs> who could forget? <laughs> That's amazing. I've never, I've never thought of him as a John Waters of uh, of mainstream bizarro <laughs> world superhero films. But yeah, there's a there's a little bit of that, I guess. But uh, I don't know if I, if I could compare him to anyone. I, for me, he was someone like um like a Dick Donner in that I mean, he had a great sense of style. I think his films are more stylish than say Dick Donner. But he was one of those directors who came up in the in the seventies uh, and eighties and nineties who could do pretty much anything. You know, so he was endlessly versatile. Someone like a, a Peter Hyams as well. You know, they could, who could just do mm, any yeah. genre of movie, and they would do it well. And I still don't entirely blame him a hundred percent for the Batman films. I think are terrible, but I know you guys are are, are big fans, particularly of and Robin. <laughs> and maybe I need to revisit him again. Maybe I need to sit down this weekend Get and very, watch very Batman drunk. Forever. A hundred percent. We would. For the first it. for the first time in my life. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, I watch watch those two movies and Star Trek Five: The Final Frontier. Yeah, definitely. Um, maybe it's some sort of weird triple bill. Oh yeah, but I do it as a triple bill with with Batman Forever, then The Final Frontier, yeah. and then Batman. I, mean, I think and Robin, we're very aware that we're recommending three mostly bad films, but so don't don't put your high, <laughs> hopes that high. But we love them all the same. <laughs> I mean, of course, yes. we've had Dick Donner on the show as well, and I would have been fascinated to hear what he would have made of the comparison with Joel Schumacher, to be honest. <laughs> I think he would have, been, he would have liked it. They were peers. They were, they were content. Very true, very true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but we are here today to discuss Columbo. Uh, this is specifically the first William Shatner episode of Columbo. And the main reason yes. why this came about is because follow you on Twitter, Chris, and you posted a photo of your big Columbo box set. And I was like, yeah. just started the on-screen thread of the podcast. And I was like, right, okay, let, let's let's get Chris on to talk <laughs> Columbo. Tell us about your love of Columbo. I think of, um, <laughs> James does this novel a lot. He says uh, objectively of things that are subjective. Uh, so I'm going to try not to fall into that trap. But this is objectively the greatest television show of all time. <laughs> better um, than Blue Bloods. There can be no argument. Much better than Blue Bloods. Uh, because Blue Bloods doesn't have a shambling detective in a <laughs> really grubby raincoat outsmarting and outwitting the glitterati uh, every single week. It's so weird. It's such an influential show. It's such an iconic show. And yet, I I do wonder how many people now nowadays have seen an episode of Columbo, apart from maybe flicking through the TV. Because this is where I discovered Columbo. Now there are so many channels... Uh, now there's so many things fine for your time. Whereas whenever I was growing up, because I'm very, very old, clearly, I would sit in my living room with my parents of a, of a weekend and inevitably at some point a Columbo episode would come on TV. Um, so, you know, and my dad in particular was a huge fan of Columbo. But I was thinking about this the other day. It's like, it's my love of Columbo born of the fact that I used to watch it with my dad. And I don't think it is because my dad had um, appalling taste in movies. And I, I don't think I've inherited that from him. <laughs> like he really, you know, he, he likes Steven Seagal films and uh, just anything with that, that was a Western at all. He would, he would just lap it up. I think I love Columbo because it is one of the most interestingly structured 
shows of all time. In case people don't know, the big hook with most Columbo episodes, not all, but the formula of Columbo was that we wouldn't see Columbo for the first 20 to 25 minutes of each episode. Instead, we're introduced to the murderer of the, uh, of the um, well, not say week, because they weren't weekly episodes because they were so long. Uh, but the murderer of the episode, we see who they murder, why they murder, and how they do it. Then the joy of Columbo is the detective, the good lieutenant, played by Peter Falk, uh, comes in with his shambling, shuffling ways. Everyone immediately underestimates him because of the way he acts, the way he looks. Uh, and then gradually, over the next hour or so, he works out how to do it. And then he has the, the big denouement at the end where he, he realizes, where he reveals himself to be as, as smart, and if not smarter, than uh, any detective you could care to name, including Mr. Sherlock Holmes. I absolutely love it. I love it because of the formula. Uh, but I think mainly one of the things that um, I've been doing recently is I've been doing this Columbo rewatch. And I've been discovering that I haven't seen a lot of the Columbo episodes. Cause I got the I got the box set when my when my dad passed away. I inherited his box set that I got him um, as a Christmas present one time. And so I just decided to start going through this Columbo box set with my wife. And you know, some incredible, incredible episodes. Weirdly enough, one of the ones that sticks in my mind, two of the ones actually, are both William Shatner episodes. Because again, one of the great things about Columbo was that actors could appear multiple times. So Patrick McGowan, for example, the great Patrick McGowan was the killer on no less than four occasions. Robert Culp was the killer on three occasions and was also in another episode as a completely different character. Peter Falk's wife, Shara Denise, appears in six episodes, all as different characters. Uh, and so you could have one character pop, one actor pop up in an episode one year, and then the next year he'd come back as someone completely different. And despite the fact that Columbo is the greatest detective on the planet, he never recognized the people. But that said, uh, the Shatner episodes stick in my mind. Um, I think because I love Bill Shatner, and I, you know, I think he's got this incredibly uh, warm, idiosyncratic acting style, which really works well. He's got great chemistry with Peter Falk in both both episodes. Although I know we're only talking primarily here about fade into murder yeah we, we are talking about fade into murder but before we get into that uh you feel free to tell us your thoughts on on the other one that he's in well the other one i rewatched this literally yesterday was it yesterday i can't remember now uh, time is a concept it's a flat circle <laughs> i have no idea what the hell's going on uh but yeah I, I, in our columbo rewatch we were actually getting very very close to this shantner episode it was one of the last episodes of the show and it was called um What's it called? It's called Butterfly in down Shades down of Grey. Butterfly I have written in down Shades somewhere of well. Grey. Season 12, episode yeah. 2. Season 12, episode 2. Butterfly in Shades of Grey. And uh, this is really interesting, this episode, because in some ways it's a quasi-remake of Fade into Murder in a weird way. Uh, you know, Shatner in both episodes tricks someone into thinking that he's somewhere else, so he has the alibi, then he goes around to someone's house and shoots him in the back. There are a couple of scenes where Columbo uh, stumbles into a, uh, a TV show as it's being shot, and he's in the background being very, very Columbo and attracting attention to himself. Um, so there's like little echoes of the previous Shatner episode and this Shatner episode. But the interesting thing about this Shatner episode, Butterfly in Shades of Grey, is that he is playing a, an unrepentant grade-A dickhead. And he is um, a strange combination of Donald Trump even as he is now, but certainly as he was then, and Nigel Farage as he is now. So he's playing a, uh, a radio show talk, uh, sort of phone-in radio show host, who uh, bumps off a friend of his daughter's. 
and tries to cover it up. But he's he's got this horrible pencil thin mustache. Yeah, he tries yeah. to ruin people's careers. He's an absolute, as I say, grade A bell end, and he's called Fielding Chase. Whereas Ward Fowler in this episode, I would argue, is one of the most interesting mm. and compelling Columbo antagonists in that he has this idea, this obsession with being sympathetic throughout, and he and Columbo get on like a house of fire, which is not always the case. So this episode, Fade Into Murder, the one we're focusing on, really showcases the Shat's charisma and charm, which I've always thought he has oodles of. Mm. It's really fascinating because, like you say about the formula with Columbo not showing up for the first 20 minutes or so, this is the first episode I've ever really seen. Um, so I, all I kind of knew of the formula was that at some point he turns around and says, oh, one more thing, and then blows the case yeah. wide open. But uh, I wasn't aware of the, the whole trope of him not turning up for quite a while. So it really drew me in. But because it's Shatner in this role, and he is so, he's kind of playing a Columbo-like character in his show, and he is so charming and, and just so Shatner in it anyway, I, I kind of forgot about it. And then I was like, you know, being really drawn in by him. And you're right, they really play off each other so well in this because of their characters, but also I think Shatner must be having a hell of a time in this, being the kind of smarmy, yeah. I just can't help but to help this detective along and try and, you know, the, the battle of wits between these two guys of, like you say, with everyone underestimating Columbo, it's kind of like a sense of Shatner maybe knows that, but he's still just digging his own hole and thinking he's still the smarter one. So, of course, we're sat here yeah. being like, you, you idiot, you're giving him all the clues and you think you're giving him the double bluff when really he's giving you the triple bluff and yeah. it's all going to blow up it's in your face. A, <laughs> there's a little bit of rope going on here. Yeah. yeah in this episode. <laughs> yeah, um, it really is. Yeah, should we do synopsis? I'll just quickly yeah, go, go through. Yeah, so we've got it, the, uh, just the outline of the episode. So so it's egocentric actor Ward Fowler, played by William Shatner, who portrays Detective Lucerne on a weekly TV show, is being blackmailed by his producer and ex-paramour Claire Daly over the fact that he was a deserter in the Korean War bit like our favorite man on madison avenue <laughs> fowler drugs a friend staying at his house watching a baseball game puts the tape on delay then dons a ski mask and pretends to rob a delicatessen where claire is shopping after fowler knocks the perpetrator unconscious and takes claire's money he shoots the dead ditches the gun and mask he begins stepping in and out of character to to assist columbo with his investigation which lends to the obviously the more amusing moments where you're not quite sure why he's doing it but it's certainly entertaining uh, and, so many uh, of my notes oh were my like, God. you're so, fucking yourself, yeah. what are you doing? Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting, the only Columbo I'd seen prior to this was the finale, the denouement of the second appearance of Shatner uh, uh. on television. And I remember like dating it just by this uh, jowl as 1994, <laughs> Generations era. And I believe he turns to Columbo and goes, I underestimated you, Columbo. Yes, <laughs> And uh, I believe I underestimated And I just got the whole show from that one line. <laughs> because that's the whole point. And so, you know, I kind of got Columbo. And then uh, the only Columbo episode I've seen since then, which was, um, I think it was a sort of a, a bit like the uh, Heaven Can Wait sort of like setting of this big mansion, big rich family, all kind of like squabbling and somebody's killed somebody. And I was just blown away by the title card at the end, which said directed by Steven Spielberg. Mm. And of course, he was directed at least more than at least one, more but probably two. How many? How many episodes did he do? No, he just he just murder one. He did, by um, the book. Indeed, yeah. So, which is held up as one of the greatest episodes of Columbo. Although it's sort of early on, and he's a little bit more kind of aggressive than he would would later become. It's the first. It's, it's essentially the first episode. It's mm. so Columbo had a bit of a checkered past in terms of coming to the to the small screen. So he was played in a 
different uh, sort of mystery theater format by a completely different actor. I think his name is Bert Fried. I've never been able to find footage of that, so I don't know whether it's been destroyed or, or whatever. And then uh, they did, in 1968, they did a pilot, which didn't go to series. And then in the early 70s, they did another pilot. Both of these were Peter, Peter Falk. And then that was picked up. And then Murder by the Book is the first episode of Columbo as, a, as an ongoing series. Yeah. And he... Spielberg was like 24 or something like that at the time. And but even at this point, though, Peter Falk had like approval of like the stars and the directors. And, you know, I think he had a lot of clout and he like took, you know, obviously saw something in Spielberg and kind of gave him a bit of a break here. Mm. So, you know, but I think the style of the episode, you know, is, is well remarked upon as being, you know, pretty damn good for the for its day. It's like really innovative. Yeah, it really is. Really is. One of the things to remember about these uh, these episodes of Columbo is that they're all feature yeah. length, and uh, I think the longest one is two hours. So this isn't, you know, this this is a precursor to Morse. Every episode of Morse was two hours as well. This is very unusual, and so Columbo would rotate along with other movies of the week on, I think it was NBC. Uh, it's a Universal thing, so it probably would have been NBC. And uh, so they, you know, they they could only make three, four, five. I think the maximum is maybe seven episodes a season so it ran for about seven seasons in the 1970s and then it took a break around about 1978 was the last one and then it took a break for 11 years and then came back for a, a run of increasingly sporadic episodes as as i guess the studio got maybe less or you know slightly disinclined to make it as maybe peter falk got older but there's about 60 i think 68 episodes of columbo in total yeah like yeah. Yeah. did oh, you know on, that man. federico fellini was a big fan fellini yeah, Fellini would leave a dinner party because he says, I, I must see you for Colombo. <laughs> <laughs> and people went, you're not Italian, are you, mate? Really? That's <laughs> <laughs> exactly the sort of suspiciously bad accent a Colombo murderer would put on. Listen, mate, I mean, I would have loved to remember see a loud Italian an episode of Colombo, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, it'd be amazing. Just eight and a half more things, he would have said. <laughs> Like, I, I have seen Columbo before. I used to watch it with my nan back in the day when it used to be, I think they used to show it <laughs> in the afternoons at the weekend on ITV. And like, I'm yes. pretty sure these would have been probably the like newer episodes, like when it came back in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, I think these would have been mm-hmm. those episodes when he was slightly older. Because, of course, it kept going yeah. until 2003. When, I mean, by that mm-hmm. point, he's, he's old as fuck, right, in the last episode. Classic weekend at, weekend at Forks. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he was on a system of pulleys and levers uh, by the end of the, <laughs> by the, end of the last episode. Uh, the, the, the murderer in the last episode, which I haven't got around to watching yet, it's called Columbo Likes the, Night, the uh, Nightlife, is uh, Matthew Reese, a very young Matthew Reese, who is now, of course, Perry yeah, Mason, yeah, who's in the Americans, yeah, yeah. and... Uh, yeah, he's a he's a he's a big noise now, and uh, you know, it's pretty awesome. That's a good way to start your career, isn't it? Being a bad guy in a Columbo episode. Well, that's a passing of the baton, isn't it? Right there, like you know, if Perry Mason goes well, really. really. So this is season six, episode one, fade into murder. Originally broadcast on the tenth of October, nineteen seventy six. Written by Lou Shaw, who wrote one other episode, A Case of Immunity. Uh, was also the creator of Quincy, which is obviously a, <gasps> a, a big BBC One or BBC Two afternoon repeat style show back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Also the creator of Beyond Westworld, the original TV spin-off 
from Westworld, which ran for seven episodes uh, back in the 80s. Amazing. And Half Nelson, which was a short-lived detective drama starring Joe Pesci in the 80s as well. So he's he's had quite a career. Um, co-written with oh. Peter S. Feibelman, uh, who wrote one ever episode, Old Fashioned Murder, which is like the episode straight after this, and then he hasn't really done done much else. So old Lou Shaw had the mm. far bigger career there. I'm sure he's still getting Quincy royalties in his grave somewhere. It's interesting. <laughs> this this episode comes right after the season. Well, it's obviously the season five finale, which which uh, I read actually was uh, some people's like ideas is when Columbo jumped the shark that oh, early. It's, yeah, it's uh... so, yeah. So this is like the episode is called uh, Last Salute to the Commodore. Yeah, and it's and I think you mentioned earlier, um, Chris, about like some of the episodes that do break formula, and that's mm-hmm. where you know it it is a genuine who done it, but it but yes. fork acts completely unhinged in the episode and uh, uh you know he kind of like loses the plot a little bit i mean he does solve it but he ends up rowing into the the ocean in a, in a, <laughs> a, a little boat all you know kind of like like he's just going off crazy like and it sort of you know could have could have been a serious finale i think he may be tempted by by the quarter of a million they're offering him per episode but uh it's it's i think this is an opportunity like a hard reset like back to formula you know safe pair of hands of a great guest star like william shatner you know mm. the fact that they play off each other so well it kind of gets the gets the whole show back on on track. You know, Shatner had been uh, sort of picking around like, for work ever since Star Trek ended, and I was reading this is kind of a he calls this period that period, which is just like you know where he was living in a Winnebago pretty much, and just getting guest star roles pretty much his only income. You know, he did appear in a lot of the big big shows of the seventies, including Mission Impossible, Hawaii Five O, Million Six Million Dollar Man, but nothing that was paying the bills pretty regular. So I think he's got a lot of it invested in this, and you can kind of tell he's kind of giving out everything he's got. Yeah. So he's basically playing himself in a, in a weird way, like an actor who's when got is he something not? to prove. When's he not? Precisely. <laughs> Nitty Gray. Um, and uh, and there's lots of intri- intriguing references to the studio slightly balking at paying an actor so much money to play a detective, which having done some reading up on on Falk and Columbo and and this episode in particular seemed to be really meta in that, you know, as you mentioned, the studio ultimately had to pay Peter Falk a lot of money to come back as Columbo, and they were slightly unhappy about that. So there's there's dialogue in this episode that is almost directly echoing conversations that you imagine have happened at Universal about Peter Falk uh, coming back. It's, no man's irreplaceable. You can't pay an actor that much. It's, it's mm. crazy. You know what will happen? Um, but he's well worth it. He's well worth it. And I'm glad, listen, I'm glad that they made this season, the next season. And then they came back after 11 years. I wish they hadn't taken an 11 year break. I wish we had 150 episodes of Columbo to talk about. Uh, but I'm particularly glad that they continued on after last salute to the Commodore, which for me and there's some dodgy ones in the in the later run, but for me that's the nadir of the show. It's it's ponderous, it's pretentious. It was directed by Patrick McGowan, and I wonder if he and Falk <laughs> were deliberately trying to, you know, just pull the producers on it and sink the show. Yeah. It's like, wait a minute, <laughs> is it like the final you know, episode of the Prisoner? It's not far off. It's not far <laughs> off. It's completely. It's almost impenetrable. It does dispense with the formula. You're absolutely right. Not only in in two ways. Uh, one in that it's very Columbo gets people together at the end to reveal who the killer is in very classic Poirot Miss Marple fashion, which is, he never does. Because one of the great things about Columbo is that he has laser focus. 
Uh, one of the one of the things I love to do with Columbo is when if you're watching an episode, rewatching it or watching it for the first time, is to try and pinpoint the exact moment that he knows the killer is the killer, and the exact moment that he knows this person is full of bullshit, and then he will harass them until they confess just to get him off their backs. But Last Salute of the Commodore didn't do that. It also dispensed with formula in that it had two killers. Uh, So you think that Robert Fawn is the killer, again, because he was in a previous episode as well, one of the best (laughs) ones, but he's not. He's bumped off halfway through, and we don't know who killed him, and that is one of the interesting things about that episode, but otherwise, it's a bunch of bollocks. <laughs> so I'm glad they came back and kind of reset the clock, if you will, with uh, with the shaft. Yeah, I guess this does kind uh, of feel the- like a writing of, of the course, because, yeah, it's like, there's, mm. there's not there's not only one, but there's two instances of and one more thing, like he says that twice, and it feels like just the two-hander scenes between him and Shatner. Like, I don't know how many of the episodes are like this, but, you know, it feels so theatrical. There's not much music. The, the scenes are very lengthy. The dialogue's very kind of slowly paced. But saying that, I didn't notice the hour, ten minutes drag at all. It kind of flew by because these two performances were so... Uh, engaging and just their back and forth mm. it's like I imagine if a lot of episodes are kind of him just slowly grilling uh, an opponent I imagine there aren't many that are as fun as this one where it is somebody like Shatner playing this pompous actor so yes exactly what time did it happen today? well last night sir about 10 minutes to 9 10 minutes to 9 God knows what I was doing and she could have used my help alone in my room probably with some idiot script you were not. You were watching a ball game with me. I was. A ball game. Oh, God, I hope I wasn't. I hope I was alone. I hope it was. But you weren't alone. Uh, looks, Lieutenant, he's upset. He's nervous, you know. He, he, he... Mark, for God's sake, will you stop it? This isn't one of my shows. This actually happened. Claire's... Claire's dead. Now, will you take that soup and get out of here? I can't take any more today. Well, just, will you just sit out of here? here. Uh, oh, there's two great Shatner deliveries, isn't there? Like, you oh. know, where he just goes, replace uh, at the beginning, where yes. the guy fucks up a line. <laughs> and I, I, I'm sure that's informed by reality as well. Uh, <laughs> some, some poor red shirt, like, fucks up, like, trips over some scenery. Replace uh, <laughs> and then And then the other one is like, you keep saying that, I'm going to kill myself. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Well, I, I kept mean, waiting to just... see how he would react when he's like, you know, unmasters the killer, and all it is is, damn. But, but that delivery <laughs> of damn that. is incredible. Like, only so Shaq could do it like hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Well, he did it in Wrath of Khan as well. He said, damn, yeah. like it's, beautifully. It's the way, he, it's the way he's... where he like he, he looks at his glasses <laughs> and they're broken. Yeah. Uh, when Khan's like got the better of him. Damn. <laughs> damn. 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 But it's the way. Look at look. He's a master of. His body, he's a master of physicality. Look at the way he brings his arm up into the frame. You can can slow motion action replay this shit. He doesn't just go with a low finger click and go, damn. He brings his hand up very high, (laughs) down from on top, gets a lot of momentum behind the swing. Then, damn. He's just, he is playing to the camera. He's incredible in this. But yeah, whenever I saw that, I was like, that's pure Shatner. But I'm not sure that's a choice. I I also hugely enjoyed his little pose after he shoots uh, the producer with his little hand on hip. He's just stood there like, bam. And then, then, uh, what's it? And then, yeah, as he's being more and more sussed out, he just gets, his blue steel gets more and more intense. He just starts to pout and hold it really sternly. And it's like, okay, he's starting to crack. (laughs) He really is. Yeah, absolutely. And there's the, uh, 
utterly batshit uh, final scene or penultimate scene where he's flitting in between first person and third person. So this episode is a little muddled at times on why exactly he is helping Columbo (laughs) solve... (laughs) Solve a murder he committed. Um, I think it's because he was so convinced that his his um he was he had the other guy in the crosshairs, didn't he? Yes. And yes. you know he had he had the other producer packed as the full guy, the, yeah, and and yes. he thought it was going to work out. Well, that, yeah, well, I did wonder yeah. was he going to just completely snap from reality and just be like, "Yes, you're right. Right, I'm arresting myself." <laughs> and just start having a conversation with himself, like you're going down. Fowler. Well, that's the thing. He believes that he's leading him down the path of identifying mm. another man, doesn't he? He that's that's what he thinks. He he thinks the pool that of he... other suspects at that point is so small. Yeah, give it up. Yeah, that's the probably that the problem with this is that it's yeah, it's it's not enough to choose from. It's either him or the other guy, isn't it? Really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, but you yeah. feel like they're enjoying that dance around each other, and and like you say, it's that thing. I really fucking hope that Shatner and Falk genuinely got on on set because they feel like they're having a ball together they really did i I think they did and i don't think that you came back on colombo if you were a prick or if you got under peter falk's skin um and yeah okay so there were there were probably what 20 years or so between shatner appearances on colombo but i think they must have got on i mean there, there are scenes they have together where you can just see that they're just enjoying their interplay there's a scene in um in fowler's trailer where Columbo has has come in and has started just trying on <laughs> Ward's shoes and his hat, <laughs> and uh, and Ward comes in and catches him, and Falk's kind of bashful. Oh, you caught me! You know, he, you know, he might as well have been having a wank. He might as well have been doing that. <laughs> Intuition, uh, you know, just you know, yeah, just yeah, just pumping away on himself, going, just one more thing, sir, just one more thing, sir. <laughs> but there's also the sequence towards the end kind of worried just before he gets him where you know uh, Ward is filming him with his video camera and uh, Columbo is just having a ball because Columbo one of the, one of the other things about Columbo one of the little mannerisms that, that runs one little motifs that runs throughout pretty much every single episode is that he's a Luddite he's a he's a technological you know numbskull he has no idea about anything uh, but once something technological comes into play he will learn it and then use it against you he will turn it to his advantage mm. so there's a there's a very new almost prototypical uh vhs slash vcr machine in this that he uses to uh, US fucking gigantic well, yeah, three grand what three is grand. that i mean i could google it now what's what was three thousand dollars in 1975 Jesus oh, Christ. You did say you could buy a new car if you wanted with that. <laughs> I mean, what I did look up was that, because this episode aired in October 76, and the first Betamax yep. went on sale in 1975. First VHS went on sale in 1977. So you've got to presume this is Betamax. So this is really a case of them taking something that's proper brand new technology and going, let's use this in a plot. Which I thought was really, really mm. clever in terms of you know, because now you'd think if you saw this demonstrated in kind of you know a, a TV episode now you'd be like well surely no one would fall for that but actually a year after the product has launched and it's so expensive it's unobtainable for anyone unless they're yeah. super rich. Mm. I thought it generally was 1996 the other day watching England Holland. <laughs> <laughs> you were like how. How long was I asleep? <laughs> What's happened? What was the fuck? What? It's like, yeah, 
Come on, Shera. <laughs> it's looking very young. This is great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's 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 interesting. I've also just realized this is the first Columbo episode to air after I was born, which kind of you know maybe a little hint at how old I am. Oh Christ! But uh, yeah, this this was this was uh, aired about three weeks after I was born. So maybe that's why I have a soft spot for it. So subconsciously, I knew the de- the detective and I, you know. Columbo and I bonded. We fused together. Straight out of that the moment. Like, the When's road. fucking Columbo on? Get the Betamax out. Make yeah. sure you've recorded I, uh... it. <laughs> <laughs> I imprinted upon Columbo. <laughs> Daddy? I would point at the screen. I should say this was directed by Bernard L. Kowalski, um, who mm-hmm. directed the pilot of Mission Impossible. Uh, so, yeah, he probably <gasps> walked away with some money from that one. He also directed an episode of The Westerner that was written by Sam Peckinpah. So you and me would be well into that cause. We're big Peckinpah fans. And uh, just to contextualise it within William Shatner's career as well, this was two years after Star Trek, the animated series, ended. Same year (laughs) as a film he was in called A Whale of a Tale, which I'll definitely have to check out. And talk (laughs) of Star Trek, the motion picture have begun to emerge around this time. Also, they were talking about Star Trek Phase 2, the aborted kind of sequel Star Trek TV series. So at this point, he must have known that Star Trek was potentially coming back into his the ether of his career. Yeah, because he had done Barbary Coast, I think, by this point, which was his like first show since Star Trek that was like, you know, he was the lead on, ran for 40 episodes. It sounds a bit like, you know, a 70s version of Deadwood. Uh, sort of Wild West show. I mean, probably not nowhere near as Less hardcore. Swearing, I would imagine. <laughs> <Yeah>. Damn. <laughs> That's as hardcore as they were. Uh... We've also got Walter Koning in this episode. Oh who... yeah, yeah. Chekhov, and he felt like he was a recurring character or something. That's I mean, I uh, maybe fill us I in here. Him up. He isn't. This is the only episode he's <laughs> in. Like when he popped up on screen, I was like, "Wait, is that?" Well, Koning, I like looked yeah. him up and was like, yeah, it's him. And like you say, it's like he, he's the guy who kind of turns up. It's like, so Columbo, there's been a murder, blah, blah, blah. Gives him all the information. Victims and Albert Thomas Stafford, World War II veteran, 85 years old. Not been seen all week. Lived alone, one cat. Liked on Golden Pond, partial to saurine malt loaf, lightly toasted with butter. Collected autographed photos of former Daily Mirror editor and CNN irritant Piers Morgan. Rarely used public transport, preferred to get around by walking, which he did by placing one foot on the ground before transferring his weight to the opposing leg. Kept himself to himself, never been found dead before, so this is out of character. And I thought, boy, he's got to be a regular mm, yeah. guy. And, and he wasn't, this is the well, only think- episode he's in. I think Koenig, you know, probably walked on set, just goes, ah, Columbo, finally away from William Shatner. <laughs> oh, shit! <laughs> the rivalry continues. <laughs> it's like, I did wonder about that. Like, you know, I, I, you guys know more. The, the, you know, I'm sure uh, Shatner doesn't have a great relationship with many of his no. uh, colleagues, especially especially at that time. But, you know, did they come as a package deal? It was like, buy one, get one free? Kind of thing. What was happening? Koenig. They like, did not go <laughs> Good morning. Thank you all for coming. Uh, behind me, you can uh, barely make out my colleagues, and let me not waste an instant and introduce them. Would you open this curtain? There you go. The cast of Star Trek. Uh, 
George Takei. Well, hello. Good to be here. Michelle Nichols. My pleasure, Admiral. Captain. And uh, the gentleman who plays Chekhov. Walter Koenig. <laughs> so what the fuck <laughs> is going on in this episode? I was just sitting there going... The uh, gentleman who Chekhov plays Chekhov. Like, Chekhov. Yeah, is <laughs> DeForest Kelly going to turn up in the next scene? You know, the whole thing also, he's only on one scene. It's he's mostly Shatner as to it's why like, he had such a small role. He was like, get this man off the <laughs> yeah. set. But it also, it also contravenes one of the great <laughs> rules of drama, which is if you show Chekhov with a gun in the first act, and he he has to go off in the third act. He never comes back. What happens then? He never comes back! <laughs> but this is actually one of the things I love about Columbo, the fact that there is no uh, supporting cast, there is no revolving gang of players. It's just Peter Falk. It's just Columbo and the murder of the episode. Now and again, you get someone like uh, Bruce Kirby, who would play a, a, one of his sergeants, who would come in, and he'd be in about six or seven episodes. But you don't get to know these people. And I'm always afraid of them remaking Columbo mm. and Fleshing doing that thing cast. that American TV does. Yeah, mm. and going, like, we have to have, we have going to do 23 episodes a season, so we need to have a thing. It's got to be like Criminal Minds or Monk. So he's got to have a, a team of eccentric helpers who are going to, you know, going to help him crack the case. You don't who need look that. gorgeous as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Where is it set? Yeah, should we talk? LA. Oh, Which, of course, is. Interesting because he's New York born and bred, and he could not be any more from New York. Yeah, you know? I was, but, yeah, I was, uh, a lot of like New York, Boston kind of accents, and I was like, I don't know where this yeah. is. And, <laughs> and then the fact that they actually get a Jaws reference, speaking of Spielberg, like oh, I was thinking, I, was thinking I guess it makes sense that you know there's a TV studio that it's LA. I was thinking, you know, are they actually closer to Amityville <laughs> than you know Amity Island? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but that shot came in. And I immediately was like, because I've been to Universal Studios, the Backlot Tour and everything like that, when Shark comes up. And I was like, oh, it's obviously meant to be the Universal Backlot. That's what it's meant. But it's not, because that shark looks like dog shit. And then someone <laughs> well, actually... I think it is. It is. It is. The, is the, I think it I believe is. that is the real attraction. What? That's the that is That is Universal that's it's yeah it's a universal production that what? is universal tours you can see in the background an actual tour going on behind peter falk at one point um and it's the it's the first time the universal tour appears in colombo but it's not the last it also appears in an episode where fisher stevens <laughs> is the killer uh in i think 89 or 90 where he's the killer he's a he's a young up-and-coming film director who looks a lot like a young steven spielberg oh my god who he's kills not someone up then. and uh <laughs> he's not, not he's not thank christ no short circuit it's for not him. like a case of oh here's the shark from Colombo because it's not the shark from Jaws definitely <laughs> yeah because uh, my childhood memories are fucking playing with me though, because when we went on that fucking tour bus and past the ocean like Jaws looks a lot better in my memories I think they make I, a, a. I think there might be some kind of reference to the fact it's like a bit of a hodgepodge one and they might replace it later on I have a yeah. feeling that this came out the year after Jaws mm. and they probably just took something that looked like a mechanical shark, drew a face on it in mascara, which seems to be what's happened here, and just <laughs> plonked it into the water. And uh, I've been in the Universal Tour, uh, not recently, but I think they've upgraded it since then. The, the funniest but, thing is the but, way it slowly backs out of frame yeah. for like half a second. It's amazing. It's like, in the background. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> it's like, oh. I want to see an episode where the shark's a murderer. I want to see Columbo <laughs> investigate Jaws. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, they actually sound Slowly where the shark is. They actually say, is that the shark from Jaws? And he goes, 
Yes. And I was like, yep. fuck right off. <laughs> fuck right off. That is not the shark from Jaws. What are you fucking talking about, Columbo? <laughs> it's a shark from a Jaws. Yes, correct. Put yourself in the mind of mindset of audiences in the late 1970s. They weren't the most sophisticated bunch, let's be honest. So they would probably look at that shark, which is clearly made of papier-mâché with a mascara face, and go, Ah, oh, it's a real thing! Run away! It's going to get you! Oh my God, it ate Robert Shaw! They'd be like the <laughs> audience who had the film of the train coming towards them and literally just instantly <laughs> go, oh! <laughs> out the window. Now imagine that train, but it's driven by a shark. <laughs> I mean, Peter Falk's performance, I've got yeah. to say, is is really mm. excellent in this because I looked up his age at the time. He was forty nine um, when this episode went out. Shatner was forty five, but he comes across as so much older. I actually, at the weekend, kind of sort of to get me in the mood for this podcast record, watched The In Laws, um, the Peter Falk film yeah. from nineteen seventy nine with Alan Arkin, which is really great, a really great crime comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of reminded me a little bit of things like Freebie and the Bean and stuff like that. You think I'm bullshitting, don't you? No, I don't. I don't. Well, they thought I was bullshitting. Who thought you were bullshitting? The CIA. I told them. I said, fellas, the thing to do is to rob the U.S. Mint. Really rob. Professional. With real gangsters and real guns. Get the engraving. Go to Central America. Smoke out the action and nail those bastards. They thought it was too risky. They turned it down. Wait a minute, wait, wait, wait a minute. The CIA turned us down? I thought you were doing it for them. I am. Well, then, well, then, they're, then they're behind you. No, this I did on my own. You robbed the United States Mint on your own? The CIA thought it was too crazy? Too risky. Yeah. So you went ahead and robbed it on your own with gangsters. You committed a federal crime. Of course it's federal. The Treasury Department is on the case. So what happens if you get caught? We won't get caught. Not if we Stop the weed! If you get caught, is the agency going to come forward and say it's okay? He works for us? No. 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 I'm out in the cold on this one, Shell. If I get caught, they shred my records, they say they never heard of me, and it's 20 years in the slammer. What about me? I was the one running through the streets with that goddamn thing. I was the one in the gutter. And you were tremendous, Shell. The way you handled yourself, I can't tell you how impressed I was. No, I mean this. It's been something I've been wanting to say. You were sensational, Shell. And it's an act of friendship that I will remember for as long as I live, which could be about an hour. So what do I got, an hour and a half? So I definitely Mm -hmm. recommend checking Mm -hmm. that out. There's a nice criterion of it. But that's like three years later, and he comes across as a lot younger. Whereas here, kind of, you know, he kind of hunches over, feels very shambolic in his kind of way, and he comes across as far older in this than, you know, he actually is. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the beauties of Columbo and one of the beauties of his characterization over the years. I mean, uh, he finished in 2003. He really started in 1968 as well, but he really started, I think, in 1971. That's when they, they really began with Columbo. So you played the character for what? What is that? Help me out here, guys. Is that 30 really years? 30, 32 yeah. years? Yeah. yeah, 32 years. Um, and it's one of those things that by the end, he was, you know, he wanted to do a last episode called Columbo's Last Case. But he was 80 years old, and he was already at that point in the grip of very severe Alzheimer's, which ultimately killed him. Um, so the studio didn't really want to do that. But by the end of the actual last Columbo episode, which is, you know, as I said, Columbo likes a nightlife, 
you know, he does look like a man who's in his seventies. But you're absolutely right. Columbo, even when Columbo was in his late thirties, early forties, when he had a bit of sprightliness and he was a spry guy, he still came across as someone who was advanced and withered beyond his years. And that's all part of the act. That is part of the act of Columbo. I mean, there's a real person in there because we get to spend a lot of time with Columbo on his own and we get to see that he is kind of, that he is that. But there are also moments when the mask drops mm. and you realize there's actually someone behind there. There's a, there's a mind like a steel trap. He's very, very calculated. Everything he does with, uh, with a killer or with a suspect is designed to wrong foot them. It's designed to make them underestimate him. And it works like absolute gangbusters. One of the things I love about Columbo, <laughs> one of the many things I love about Columbo, you may have noticed I like Columbo, <laughs> is um, that he is a class warrior as well. And I think this was a deliberate thing. If you look at pretty much, I'm not even sure this is without exception, Every single killer in Colombo is moneyed. Every single kill- killer in Colombo it comes from some sort of high society, or they're you know they're a famous actor, or a famous director, or a famous painter, or they've got some sort of fame about them as well. And Colombo is in many ways he's the great working class hero. He's the great leveler who comes in and fights the battle against the you know the glitterati and the hierarchy and uh, and reduces them down to to his level uh, ultimately. Uh, and it's just such a wonderfully calibrated performance. Mm. I mean, everything he does, all his mannerisms from, you know, the, the smacking of the head to going out, you know, it's got to the point now where we're watching episodes and he leaves the room and we will go one, two, three, and then he'll come back in again. You know, it's, it's so beautifully precisely timed, but he does this, this wonderful thing. His costume is Peter Fox's own clothes. You know, that, you know, that Mac is Peter Fox's Mac. That suit is Peter Fox's suit that he kept for, for years and years and years. But he would do wonderful things to kind of wrong foot actors that he was playing with. So he has that Mac and it has, you know, a preponderance of pockets. And so he would suddenly, you know, he would he would keep evidence or something to reveal to the actor. Mm. And he would do that thing where he goes into one pocket and he goes, no, I've got it here. No, it's in this pocket. And none, the actors that he was playing with never knew he was going to do that. But he would always just do stuff. He would play in the scene and, uh, you know, he would keep it loose and improvisational. But at the same time, mind like a steel trap. And he's very, very sharp and focused. Yeah, I was endlessly fascinated with this performance because, yeah, having only heard about the show through, you know, cultural osmosis and what you kind of pick up, it's, I was just watching was like this joy because it's like, you know, he comes across as like this haggard old drunk at times, but everything, like you say, it's very precise. And it's kind of like the, you know, it's like a performance suited to like a one-off kind of indie film almost. Like here's this strange detective who's going to go quite overboard on all these mannerisms and it feels like that's only going to go so far. So the fact that this is in a mm. long-running mainstream show and he's being so weird, essentially, um, and getting everybody <laughs> on board with the weirdness and then to the point where you can work stuff out and be like, okay, he's doing this, now he's doing that. But he's, I guess he's wrong foot in the audience as well as all the characters he comes into contact with yeah. as well. So it's just, it's just incredible, especially to see it against someone like Shatner who has his own style, all of his own. Uh, and he's definitely mm. doing his thing here, like uh, to 110%. So I think that's what kind of made them really pop against each other in this. You think she was murdered, don't you? I, I beg your pardon, sir. You hurt me. Yes, sir, I did. Uh, I, I mean, yes, I do think it was a premeditated killing, sir. I mean, I think the robbery was staged to cover up the murder. Um... How did you know, sir? Why else would you be here? It could be just a routine check, sir. Not Lieutenant. They don't send a police detective stumbling around asking silly, fake, innocent questions. 
on a routine check. I know that from my show. Well, silly, fake, innocent questions like what, sir? <laughs> like, um... Mr. Daly wasn't at home last night. He wasn't there this morning. They told me at the office, said they didn't know when he'd be in, and I was wondering if anybody here had any idea where he would be. A man on a route to you check care, just asks for Mr. Daly. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you're absolutely amazing, sir. It, uh, you're right. Uh, and here I thought you were in shock. No, you didn't. You thought I was confused. Perhaps scared. And probably playing for time. But seeing, having this episode being the first one that I really saw to get Peter Falk in full as Columbo, it was really fascinating to see, okay, because, you know, like you said, yeah, all the hands over the face and the, the hunching and, and this kind of like lazy eyes got going on. It's all, it's all part of the character. It's all really, really cool. And the ever-present cigar as well, yeah. which is... Which he does kind of drop into there. a crime scene at some point, pretty much. It's like, <laughs> don't lean over the corpse. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's one of the things. It's like if you watch, uh, especially the older Columbo episodes, mm. the uh, the amount of crime scenes he contaminates <laughs> is extraordinary. And there's one episode where he comes to, he comes to London and um, he can't find the evidence and this is absolutely mad uh he can't find the evidence to put the killer away and so he plants it <laughs> plants the evidence. Job done. Going, okay that's totally fine that's because he's meant to be the one good cop he's like you know we're in we're obviously in a, in a very very fraught situation right now um where cops are considered to be bad and i keep going i keep going back to Columbo, going hey, he's the one good cop he's the one cop we can get behind he is incorruptible he is absolutely unimpeachable and then oh no he planted episode he planted evidence that one episode and he's manipulated the crime scene to get get someone else in that episode oh god he's as dirty as the rest it's of them the oh jesus christ day, mate, but i think it's, it. It, <laughs> yeah <laughs> the key thing is is he's trying to extract a confession isn't he like he's gonna get them to admit it and then it doesn't matter how you got it so as yeah. long as they say it out loud that's it's, it doesn't ends justify the means it, interesting this episode had an alternate ending like where he actually is bluffing about the fingerprints on the bullets that's how it was written so this is how he finally unmasked Shatner is that the prop gun used that Willie Shatner was very diligently like wiped the prints off. Like he said, well, the one mistake you made was you didn't take the prints off the bullets mm. in the gun. And we had the shell casings. You remembered to clean the gun. But you didn't remember to do the same thing with the bullets. Damn. I had to forget something. That's always how the third act ends. And he obviously confesses. I think it played better if he just, you know, as he said, you know, finds out he didn't do that. It's <laughs> just thought. Because it was, because you got, well, like, that's the thing. If you've got this guy who's playing the role of the detective on his show and is so uber overconfident that he got it right, it might take something like that to bring him down. What I like about this is he's sort of hero worshipping him all the way through. And you feel as if that's not an act. Although he is kind of essentially doing it in some ways to kind of, you know, as part of his game, you feel like... Because he says about liking his detective show when he's on the crime scene, before he even meets Shatner's yeah. character, he says to Walter Coding, like, oh, Detective Lucerne, yeah, I, I watch it with Mrs. Columbo every week. I absolutely love it. 
And you feel like he actually does genuinely like this guy. And by the end, you feel as if he actually has some regret at having to take him down. And the fact that he had to play him so harshly. Like, the ending's got a sense of melancholy to it, I think. Mm. Yeah, it really does. A couple of things in terms of, the, of Shatner. Uh, is that I'm surprised it took him this long to turn up in Colombo, if I'm honest. Because Leonard Nimoy was in a previous episode... And uh, I would have thought that would have stirred the old competitive fires in Shatner. And he would have been immediately on the phone to his agent going, I need to be in Colombo, make it happen. But it took an extra, I think, three seasons for him to show up in Colombo. <laughs> but the other thing is, uh, if you go back and watch that Nimoy episode, it's also a very good episode. But Nimoy is playing an absolute, once again, grade A dickhead. And it's one of the few instances in Colombo's history where he really doesn't like the guy. Uh, to the point where he yells at him. And it's like seeing Columbo yell at someone is like watching, you know, your dad yell at someone. It's just like, no, I don't know. This is not right. I can't, I can't compute this. I'll bet somebody could take some dye or something and color one to make it look like the other. I mean, you could fix it up so that no one would know the difference. That would be murder, wouldn't it, Lieutenant? Yes, yes. Yes, it certainly would, sure. Uh, because that would explain why Miss Martin was so bothered after the operation, and it would explain why she wanted to see the chemist at the company that made the suture. That's murder. That certainly is, no question about it. What's so funny? <laughs> Excuse me, Lieutenant. I had to play it as though you were serious. <laughs> you don't really believe all those foolish things you say, do you? <laughs> Killed Sharon Martin, and I believe you're trying to kill Dr. Heidemann. Lieutenant Columbo, you're remarkable. You have intelligence, you have perception, you have great tenacity. You've got everything except proof. So it's that's a really, really cracking episode. Check that one out as well. But uh, yeah, it's um. Columbo, some of the best Columbo episodes are the ones where he has a really close relationship or he genuinely likes the killer and you get a sense of, of conflict. There's a great episode called uh, uh, Forgotten Lady, which is ironic because I nearly forgot it, uh, and it stars Janet Leigh as, a, as an actress who kills her husband. But she has Alzheimer's or a version of, and uh, she forgets that she did it. She, she forgets that she killed her husband. And Columbo cracks the case at the end, but he can't bring himself to, her, to have her arrested. So he just, because he knows that she's going to die as well. So he just kind of lets it, lets it go uh, and walks away. It's, it's such a, you know, it's, it's really interesting when he just has these connections with people. And in this one, I think there's a real connection with mm. him. He's he's a fanboy. He loves he loves his shit. There's not an episode that goes by where he doesn't meet someone famous that he's not intimately acquainted with their work. <laughs> it's, but I, I love that aspect of him. I mean, he sounded more corrupt by the episode from what you're saying, Chris. To be completely honest here. Oh, he's deep. He's deeply, deeply, deeply corrupt. And uh, I realise now I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> uh, does anyone know about the history of the Colombo statue in Budapest? No. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's famously this Colombo statue in Budapest. I've just looked it up. It says it was, was installed in 2014 at the estimated cost of $63,000. And it may have been because... So it's in a place called Folk Mixer Street, 
So been, it was renamed. It was renamed after Peter Falk. Oh, because yeah, it says according to organizers, Peter Falk may have been related to a 19th century Hungarian political figure, Mixka Falk, after who the street was named. Although they admit this connection has yet to be proven. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there he is. And uh, since That's its amazing. passing, yeah, it means that it's unlikely to commemorate its passing any other way. Uh, many believe it was unveiled in time to garner votes in an upcoming election. Although this seems to be a strange way to go about it. <laughs> So I like, think we need Columbo to work you know, out <laughs> who put the statue <laughs> up With all the, the statues being pulled down for, like, you know, police brutality, I'm sure he's on the list. <laughs> now that we know he's I, corrupt, I'm just, I'm just waiting. For, I'm just if you waiting come for the after that people. statue, I will come after you, okay? <laughs> I, I'm just waiting for the good people of Detroit to, like, take down Robocop. <laughs> you know, use excessive yeah. amount of force. He's a, he's a proper fascist, this is all Robocop. Uh, that statue is... I don't think there are many places on Earth I want to go to more than that statue. I've been aware of it for, for a few years now, and and uh, I even know people who've seen it, and it's really fucking good likeness as well. And also, it's his dog. Dog, that's the name of his dog in the show. His dog is there as well with a statue, and he's got this sort of befuddled, very, very, you know, Columbo expression. He's got the cigar, and he's got his eye screwed up. <laughs> it's, I really want to go there. After this fucking lockdown business is over, we have a list mm. of places we're going to go to, and number one on my list uh, is, is Budapest. I just need to convince my wife. <laughs> Well, it's so annoying. I was there in Mrs. I was there in 2016. If only I, I knew then. I didn't I didn't cross paths, but I need to go back there now. <laughs> <laughs> and I've, I've been to Budapest. I've been to Budapest, but I haven't I haven't been since, or at least I didn't think so. Um, I haven't been since that statue went up. So I need to go. But yeah, I I adore the friendship he develops with Shatner. I think it's so so much fun to watch, and I almost felt as if. Really, I mean, I definitely felt that Columbo decided that this guy did it very early on, and <laughs> very yeah, early, on. really, really early on, immediately. And I, it, it felt like half the time that kind of Shatner knew he knew. Like I don't think like <laughs> Shatner's character really particularly fell for Columbo's act. I think just because he's stroking his ego massively. He fell into it, but you kind of feel there's an early uh, moment where he actually kind of compliments Shatner, and Shatner says, "Thank you. I believe you meant that," which kind of would lead you to believe that he's not yeah. believing his bullshit half the time. That he's actually going. Mm. In this case, I think you're genuine, but actually, I know a lot of this is you buttering me up. But I like it, yeah. so I'm gonna like. And he, sa- and he says, at, and he says at some point, "Oh, can we stop pretending yeah. that I'm so smart and you're so simple?" Yeah, he's like, "Look, let's just put our cards down here," you know. <laughs> yeah, they're dancing round. I each love other. that. When a murderer realizes, because one of the formula, one of the formulae, one of the formulas of Columbo, uh, is that the murderer has a very interesting, often prickly relationship with Columbo. That initially they're so, you know, they, they humor him, they patronize him. Then as he gets closer, he like, he's like a bulldog with a scent. He just always turns up at their house. He turns up at their place of work. He shadows them, he harasses them, he stalks them. And eventually they crack. And so, you know, the, the relationship for most Columbo murderers is... Oh, Lieutenant, ha ha ha, you silly little man. And then 20 minutes later, it's like, oh, Lieutenant Columbo, I hate you. Leave me alone and never see him dock at my doors again. And that's not the case here with uh, Ward Fowler. Even at the end, when he's about to have the trigger pull, so to speak, there's still a bit of banter going on. There's still, you can sense that there's something, you know, that, that they recognize something in each other, kindred spirits, perhaps. I really like that the producer, I think it's the producer of the show, 
actually says at one point, stop calling him Lieutenant Lucerne. He's not a real detective. Because all the way through, <laughs> yeah. Columbo refers to Shatner by his character name. Thing. And you do feel as if Shatner's character has fallen into that, into actually kind of thinking he is the detective, that he is that smart. Well, I wonder if this is actually one of his ploys to kind of maybe get away with it. Because even at the beginning, uh, whenever Columbo first turns up on the set of the show... Uh, Ward drops his alibi in such a, an unsubtle fashion. He's basically like, oh, when? what time did she die last night? Oh, <laughs> 10 past nine. Oh, well, I couldn't possibly have killed her because I was watching the ball game with my good friend Mark and we have time codes to prove it anyway. I don't know why. I know you didn't bring it up, but I just wanted to get it out there. Anyway, is that the time I have to go? Yeah, I think he's maybe um, he's maybe uh, overconfident a little bit yeah, as well. Yeah, he straight up says that. like, oh, I've got my alibi right here. And Clumber's like, alibi? Yes. Didn't mention an alibi, mate. <laughs> yeah, you didn't need an alibi. I don't suspect you of the crime. I do now. <laughs> but one of the joys of Columbo uh, of the formula is because you've seen how they do it in the first 20 minutes. Uh, you know, you watch that. You You look at it basically, you know, with an over-analytical eye, looking at the mistakes that they've made, guessing what the mistakes are that they've made. Uh, so, you know, watching this episode again, it's like, okay, well, clearly there sh- we're being shown Ward uh, fix the time on Mark's watch after he slips him the mickey. So that's going to be crucial. The, the, the video player machine is going to, the VCR is going to come in somehow as well. But there are just little bits and pieces, little things that, that Columbo, only Columbo could see that I wouldn't have thought of. There's a genius moment where um, Columbo realizes that Claire, the, the victim, had her hands up mm. when she was shot. And so forth, she had stretched her dress so that the bullet hole on her dress was higher than the bullet wound on her back when the dress fell. So therefore she had her hands up, therefore she wasn't running away because who runs with her hands up? And it's just the little things like that you would never catch first time around. But then, you know, that's why I don't write these things. Yeah, no, I mean, that's always been a thing for me with, with detective dramas. That I'm always kind of like, yeah, because you essentially have to put together the, the structure of that case and work out how they would have done it, how they would have gotten away with it. It's like the Jonathan Creek thing, like David Wenwick. I don't know how he came up with all those kind of puzzle box type things. Like Knives Out has done a similar mm. thing recently. And yeah, that's the thing I'd struggle to come up with. I mean, if you if you keep up with the perfect murder, you'd you'd do it. Right? Yeah, exactly. You just do it. You wouldn't waste it on a script. Yeah. Like you just you just no, use it. No, absolutely not. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're all friends here. We can we can confess exactly. this, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. This is strangers on a podcast, right? Like, yeah. This, this is just like this Chris, is just we, a chat. This is just you before. I mean, you know, you kill mine, I'll kill yours. It's fine, right? <laughs> this is this is just this is just light banter in a podcast. We're not actually planning yeah, I mean, this. Yeah, we've got, this we've isn't got something fake we're actually here for a reason. You know. I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, just because we're recording it, definitely, you know, half past nine on Monday, uh, that's where I am right now. <laughs> yeah, this is where I haven't pre-recorded this. That's absolutely one hundred percent the case. <laughs> As our kind of first proper experience with Columbo, did you did you enjoy yourselves, boys? Yeah, yeah. I think um, I'll at least you know watch the other episodes on that disc that, on the disc that you've lent me. Oh yeah, I think there's like I another two on there. Yeah, yeah. So I think I may as well get through them and then. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. But I'm very I'm very impressed that you know a show that could have just been remembered because it was so iconic rather than being good is actually proven to be good as well. That's always a uh, pleasing development <laughs> uh, for me i enjoy the peter fork and the william shatner of all but i just don't think uh these kind of shows in my bag I've, I've never been a detective genre 
aficionado. Uh, and yeah, the Colombo kind of like hook is interesting, and it's a different formula which I, I, I didn't, I did enjoy. But it just uh, for me, I find I think the '70s stylings are like visual valium. Like to me, <laughs> I, I find it very difficult to kind of keep keep with it, like because it just I think just the pace of it and uh, giant colors, and just how sedate it was. So sedate, it was like Sunday viewing, <laughs> but it was like. I think I think this is the thing. I'm knackered all the time these days <laughs> with a baby, so it's like the ultimate like, oh, you need a nap now, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> so this is more down to you being a new father than the show itself, maybe. Possibly, possibly. <laughs> I mean, I really enjoyed it. I want to give the show an out, like, because <laughs> the show was good. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a lot of fun uh, with it. It's, I know what you mean. It is sort of sedate in a way, and obviously it kind of works at a slightly different pace to kind of modern TV. Um, although I didn't really notice uh, that that much. Like like Matt, the kind of the time of the episode kind of breezed, breezed by. I mean, it is really, really enjoyable. It's kind of a comfort blanket viewing, uh, I would describe mm. it as very much so. Uh, it's something that you could really just watch and kind of, you know, just in, enjoy in that comforting, relaxing way. You know, down to, I mean, Peter Falk's whole persona in it is sort of kind of soothing and relaxing in a lot of ways when, when you're watching it, certainly. Like, something, I mean, if you were, if you were off sick from work on a day, curled up in bed, this is, this is like perfect, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is, this is better than chicken soup. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. The chicken soup of detective dramas. Um, there was some other appearances by Star Trek actors in this obviously we mentioned Nimoy Uh, I think he's the only other main regular cast member apart from Koning who I should say that this was Koning's only acting job between 1974 and Star Trek the Motion Picture in 1979 so he had to survive on this for five years because of course (laughs) Koning was the only regular cast member who was not a voice on Star Trek the Animated Series. He did get to write an episode, but they didn't shell out for him to be a voice on the show. So, yeah, this is hard, hard times uh, for Watercoat until Motion Picture comes along, but I'm sure, sure he's fine after that. Uh, Ricardo Montalban was in it at one point. Khan himself. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Is that a good episode? One of the few episodes where it's 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 okay. It's one of the few episodes where Columbo leaves LA. So he goes to England in one episode. He goes, uh, he's on a boat with his wife, and he's taking a cruise with his wife, Mrs. Columbo, who we never see in one episode. That's the episode that Robert Fawn was the murderer. That's a really good one. Uh, and then he winds up in Mexico, um, and Ricardo Montalban is a prize is a famed bullfighter who uh, who kills one of his rivals. It's it's okay. It's fine. It's 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 a decent. It's decent, but not not one of the best. It's always he's playing his naked gun baddie. Like we would be very happy with that. <laughs> Vincent Ludwig. <laughs> Are these on location episodes when he goes to London, or is it bullshit studio lot? Uh, no, he's in he's in oh, London. Wow. There's uh, there's a couple of shots of him in. Uh, I think it's either in Piccadilly Circus or there's one where he's trying to navigate a roundabout and he can't quite figure that out. <laughs> Just a lot of studio-based stuff that they shot in LA as yeah. well, but uh, I think 
I think they shelled out for him to go to London for at least a weekend. <laughs> yeah. I love your take on it that he's a class warrior. Essentially, I do. I absolutely yeah. love that idea of he's basically going around to all these, like you say, all the killers are kind of uber privileged types, and he's deliberately making them underestimate him by thinking he is stupid. He is a luddite. Kind of, you know, he can't even get a door open in this episode and then you know completely <laughs> kind of overwhelms them at the end and uh, peter falk's performance in that final shot i think is incredible because it, he has a little look when shatner asks him to stop calling him sir because he's been calling him sir all the way through and i, I kind of mm. felt like it was this thing of he tells these people uh, that he's stupid and lulls them into a false sense of security and befriends them and then eventually mm. betrays them and says, like, you know, everything I basically made you believe was wrong. I've been on you the whole time. You're stupid. I'm clever. And uh, essentially, mm. uh, I think you you see in his face that he does feel a little bit guilty about that. He's playing a character the whole yeah. time. Like you say, he's, in terms of, is yeah. he actually meant to be older? In terms of, is he genuinely meant to be playing an older man? Or is that just all an act? And he is the age that he's meant to be and you know just the entire persona of Columbo is a complete character and actually we as an audience never even get to know the real Columbo just like the killers occasionally we do see him like as I said earlier on we, we do see him on his own um quite often with his dog uh, and we, we we do see him on his own really on his own doing an uh, investigating a crime there is there's a difference in the body language. He's not as bumbling. He's not. Uh, he's not stumbling around. Um, he's much more focused and precise in his in his mannerisms. But you know, we don't get the inner life of the character. We never get that. We, as I said, we never get to see his wife. Uh, we get to see his home precisely once, and he uses it as as a, as a bait and switch to catch a killer. We never learn his name, his first name. Someone freeze frames, he holds up his driving license at one point and uh, you can just about make out he might be called Frank. But we never know that in the show because it's not about that. That's not the important stuff. The important stuff is about the character that he has created. This uh, almost caricature at times. Also, maybe it's like the Doctor's psychic paper and he's just holding on. You just see him, whatever, he's, whatever he wants you to see. Yeah, <laughs> precisely. But yeah, no, I, I, I really enjoyed it. Re really good fun. And um, yeah, I, I bought season six and seven on DVD for this, this episode of the show just because... Of, actually, this is something we need to fucking talk about. Right, we're all members of Cinema Paradiso which I believe you are or were a member at one time. <laughs> and uh, yes. we, the last episode as I said, we did of on screen was uh, George Takei in Miami Vice. And oh, <laughs> there, there it is. is. Yeah. Alongside uh, <laughs> that, we decided to talk about the entire filmography of Michael Mann because we're all, we're all big fans. So we use it as an excuse. <laughs> and Matt had never seen Thief. It was the only Michael Mann film he hadn't seen. So he whacked it up the top of his high priority list on Cinema Paradiso and uh, now Cinema Paradiso for brilliant <laughs> service absolutely love it I recommend it to these guys but you get the thing it's quite a small outfit maybe there's some things they've only got one copy of or something like that and so <laughs> Matt had feet at the top of his high priority for fucking months it's never it's oh, never turned up no. like, what's going on with feet someone must have just like kept it or something like that and then one Somebody's day fucking thieved it one day we see a tweet from Mr. Christian <laughs> revealing that he is the one copy of Cinema Paradiso's fifth 
at home all the time. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I've lost it. I, I don't I don't know where the fuck it is. So basically, I signed up. Uh, I signed up in January of last year, 2019, because I miss Love Film and I miss Netflix. You know, before it became Netflix, and the idea of actually being able to get DVDs and Blu-rays of some really obscure stuff because you know the streaming giants, they're great but they're not great when it comes to the history of film. They're not mm. great when it comes to world cinema. They're fucking downright terrible, yeah. in fact. So I love services like Love Film. I think it might be still around it's in some not. way. But, it's gone. And Cinema Paradiso. It's not. It's gone. Okay, good. So, um, well, not good, because you know, people lost their jobs and stuff. Oh, God, I retract that. Oh, God. Um, cinema Paradiso. So I discovered this. I signed up. I, I got my first two discs, <laughs> which, were, which were Bad Day at Black Rock and uh, Thief. Which I had seen, but it wasn't on any of the streaming services, and I wanted to rewatch it because, like you guys, I'm a big Michael Mann fan. <laughs> so I got them. I didn't take them out of the um, out of the, the envelope. I put them on my desk here in my little office at home, and then gradually I just forgot about them. I just you know got so busy I didn't get around to watching them. I thought, oh, one day I've got to I've got to return these, and then I forgot to do that as well. <laughs> and then at some point, at some point when I was moving things around my office or whatever, I must have taken them and put them somewhere. I don't know where I put them. So then. I forgot that I had a Cinema Paradiso account completely and <laughs> only remembered this. <laughs> deleted it from my brain and never really checked, you know, oh, like this money, there's 10 quid going out of my account every month. Oh, uh, you know, a bit airy, fairy, a bit Columbo in that way. And then I realized about three weeks ago, I was like, oh shit, I've got, <laughs> I've got Bad Day of Black Rock and Thief knocking around my <laughs> flat somewhere. So I, I did a huge, you know, hard target search of every hen house, outhouse, you know, in the in the area. Couldn't find it for love and money. Um, so I had to pay for them on Cinema Paradise. So you can go in, you can go, look, I've lost this. I'm really, really sorry. And it's 15 quid for a Blu-ray. You can grovel. And 10 quid for a DVD. I could grovel. And I, <laughs> I might have, you know, I might have got away with it if I tagged them on Twitter, my, my big Twitter thread, and gone, hey, listen really really sorry about this and who knows they might have taken pity on me but i didn't want that to happen um i think so, that what it worked out is you've you spent 175 pounds to not watch these i spent over i spent over 200 quid i spent over 200 quid it was at least 18 months of 10 pounds a month plus 15 quid for both discs bad day of black rock and thief so i spent yeah somewhere in the region of 210 pounds to not watch two discs and so they've now sent me the first disc on my list which is the the noir thriller laura i have it here Amazing. i haven't opened the envelope yet i guarantee you, you i will lose this as well <laughs> <laughs> i might just i'm, I'm just going to file it in this uh, bin shaped cabinet that i have here no one fucking put laura on their list <laughs> Because <laughs> <laughs> it's a cautionary anyway. tale for all. Oh, you're under arrest, Chris. Matt. You're under arrest. Thief, thief is really fucking good. It's really good, by well, the way. Paul's, you should check Paul's it out. Paul's finally come good. And he's just posted me his copy, so I finally I do have it. come good. I, I literally, I saw that tweet and I sent it I the know, next you day. Came very good, mate. <laughs> <laughs> if I if I find it, I'll I'll let you know anyway. Just you know, honestly, there'll be huge sigh of relief. But if if you are interested, if people have listened to this and they want to listen to, they want to watch more Columbo you can get that box set it's a really you can it's it's on Amazon right now for 30 quid Uh, and it's a really good investment and around like Black Friday and around Christmas sales it usually comes down in price a little Mm. bit more as well Savvy often have really really good sales on it Uh, it's not put together with a lot of love a lot of care the dvd menus are horrendous <laughs> uh you can literally just select an episode that's that's it 
and none of these have been remastered uh, either that's, audially or audio wise or, or visually um that's kind of what you want though like, yeah you, those days of elaborate dvd menus where like you know it does a 3d rendering of colombo's apartment <laughs> and you've got to go zoom over, fly over the desk and then you zoom in for the chapter selection on the, his notepad just like oh fuck off i just want to watch it <laughs> well, but go, I'd, that, I'd like that, that entire set is still about a seventh of the price of not or renting and not watching Thief and yeah. <laughs> it's a bargain. And I, I should say, but it, I ask you, uh, I should say for the benefit yeah. of Cinema Paradiso, you can get the Colombo box set on Cinema Paradiso. The only reason I didn't is just because I was like, oh god, like, I'll have to get it, send it back, then you get it, send it back, then Chris will fucking get it, but keep it forever, never send it back. <laughs> so I thought it'd be easier yeah, I... to buy it and just like send it round to you guys, like so you can so you can watch it because it was only like a fiver to get season six or seven or something like that. So yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a king's ransom for Colombo to be honest. Good decision. <laughs> it's an important service as well because the uh, it's not available to stream as far as I'm aware. Yes. So I, I've had a few people get in touch with me saying because I've been tweeting and Instagramming quite a lot about Columbo recently, and people are going, "Oh, I'm you've you've piqued my interest. I'd quite like to check it out. Oh, how can I do it?" And I go, "Well, you can either sit and watch ITV four <laughs> and, and just hope that something." <laughs> Comes, yeah, just wait long enough, and you'll eventually see all sixty-eight episodes. Uh, or you can you can find the, the box set right now. But that that's it. That's your that's your oh, chance. I that's your chance. That um, you can buy the first two seasons on yes, streaming. You can. You can. Um, which is a weird thing. It was a similar thing with Miami Vice. The first season is available to buy on streaming, but nervous seasons, which is which is bizarre. <laughs> And like you say, cinema parodies. It's like someone getting you hooked on heroin and then (laughs) running out of heroin. It's like I want some more heroin. (laughs) It's that addictive. Um, Cinema parodies is (laughs) is an excellent service which we really would recommend. Um, Is is great because you sponsored by them. It sounds like you're sponsored. We we fucking should. We'd love to get sponsored by them. But after they hear this episode, Chris, they they ain't never going to be like that guy who kept our DVDs. Yeah, yeah. He kept kept us going. His ten pounds a month. The fifteen pounds. I wish more people were like that rather than us who like literally watch our yeah. films and send them back straight away the same fucking day sometimes rinsome. in this lockdown uh, uh, probably probably exceeded your charitable donations for the year too <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand it, but this is honestly this is not the first time this has happened either. Um, you know, I've I've done this before, never never to the point where I've lost it and then had to, you know, buy it again. But um, yeah, yeah, I'm, but I'm, I remember like renting a Super Nintendo game from my video shop where they did a bit of video games. I think it was Star Wing. Uh, was that what was that called, Matt? Star yeah, Star Wing. But that like oh, came with the SNES, pretty much. Surely you were renting that one. Not mine. Uh, but but, uh, but yeah, I remember like uh, being like a day late getting it back, and they charge you Quite the full right. rate. Like so, it's three pounds. Like again, and as soon as I get a pound a week, it's like three <laughs> weeks pocket money. It's like burns oh, again. <laughs> I, I just uh, I just remember like they said, well, you can take it out again, like you know, because you paid for the second free second three days, like. No, it's okay. I used to be a manager at Blockbuster, and I would have shown you no mercy, Paul. I would have been like, right, free fucking no mercy. Right now, mate. Uh, and look at her now. Like, you drove everybody yeah, away. Yeah, so, right, so you're not going to watch any more uh, Columbo Wills. You you might, bruvs, I might. Chris definitely will. I'm, I'm, I'm in too deep now. I have to, I have to That's finish about this. it. Yeah. Oh, have you seen the Spielberg episode? You have, haven't you, Wills? 
I've seen the end of it, but I want to watch the yeah, whole thing yeah, now. You've got to complete. You're you're a massive Spielberg fan, so you got you got to complete complete the set. Right, Chris, where can we find you yes. online? Uh, I'm on Twitter as at Chris Hewitt. I'm on Instagram where I occasionally will post pictures from a Columbo episode um, as at CTAH1976. It's not very catchy, but there you go. Um, and uh, you can catch me um, online, although not catch me in terms of like for a crime or a murder. <laughs> I haven't done any murders, honest. Um, you can catch me online every week. Uh, in the Empire Podcast, or on the Empire Podcast, are we in or on a podcast? I've never quite figured out. We're in it but, right uh, now, but we're on it after yeah. the fact. Let's, let's, let's say that. <laughs> yeah, I feel very much like we're in it right now. I feel very much in it, and uh, uh, yeah, every Friday we have the regular Empire Podcast, and we also do uh, spoiler specials with directors and whatnot, talking about big movies. Uh, they are subscription only, I'm afraid, but um, but well worth it, I would say. But then I would say that. Um, yeah, you've got yeah, some cool so that's, that's shit right. coming up with that soon. You've done a Jack Reacher one with Macquarie. Yes, uh, I, I sat down with Chris Macquarie. People may or may not know, but uh, I spoke to him. We did spoiler specials with him for both Mission Impossible Rogue Nation and Mission Impossible Fallout, which redefine Epic. Uh, our Mission Impossible Fallout chat uh, took place in two different countries on two different locations, two different occasions, and uh, spanned six hours on one film. And... Uh, we're promising slash threatening to do double that for Mission Impossible 7 and 8. Yes. Oh, it is if, two movies, and when so it makes sense. Those movies happen. It is two movies, but they're a year apart, so who knows what we're going to do. We're probably going to do 25 hours in the middle of a volcano <laughs> uh, while Tom Cruise rides a rattlesnake around us or something. I don't know. It's, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be, crazy, yeah, it's but, going to be uh, the most extreme yeah. impossible recording to match those movies. So. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In space. We're going to be yeah falling out of a plane. <laughs> you know, how, how long does it take to fall out of a, a plane? Th- say 35,000 feet. How, how, you know, what is that? You know, 10 Not minutes? Not as long That's as one of your podcasts with Chris McQuarrie, Chris. It really isn't. <laughs> But the, the, our, our Jack Reacher podcast, which we did in, in lockdown, uh, is just a mere stripling compared to those two. Uh, so we only chatted for two and a half hours, and then there's an hour of us Empire idiots talking about it as well. So that's going to be up soon. And then we're doing John Wick with Chad Stahelski and uh, Gangs of London Border Special series with Gareth Evans and Karen Hardy and talking about that because that show, the action scenes in that yeah, show were phenomenal. Incredible. Absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. Episode five. Are absolutely unreal in the farmhouse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so weirdly, oh. I mean, I, I I adored the first five episodes of Gangs of London, and then it sort of seems to kind of almost not become an action show after that, which was slightly, slightly odd. Um, but yeah, really, some amazing it, yeah. stuff achieved on TV, like action scenes like you've never seen. Yeah, there's a, there's a very good argument that uh, the the fifth episode, the, the farmhouse siege episode, is the best movie of the year. Um, even though it's only it's only fifty eight minutes long, not a lot of competition. In fairness, there's Bad Boys for Life, which I you know I will defend with my dying breath. Um, but you, you can, I come on the show, diss the Final Frontier and uh, Batman and Robin, but I will defend Bad Boys for Life. That's the sort of person I am. But uh, yeah, if if it was half an hour longer, it would be the best action movie since Mission Impossible Fallout or since Fury Road. It's just absolutely incredible. Mm. And just made you realize, like, Gareth Evans, like, I liked Apostle, the, the movie he made when he came yeah. back to, to the UK and came back to Wales. But it's a very, very dark horror. It's not action at all. Mm. But this episode of yeah. Gangs Michael of London Sheen in particular just makes you think, oh, my God, this is one of the world's best action directors. And, you know, where have you been since The Raid 2? 
Um, so it's really, really great. Check it out if you have not already. You can find like, us yes. on social medias at Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Spotlight Pod. Follow us on there for the latest updates of kind of what we're doing. We haven't really ever got a really planned out schedule, so we just kind of do the next episode that we fancy doing, and then you'll hear about it on there when we've definitely done it. And you can leave us a review at Apple Podcasts, preferably five stars would be nice. Uh, we don't ask for your money, not like these bastards over at Empire Magazine. So, you know, yeah, exactly. just fine. give us a five star review instead. Pay for my yacht, you motherfuckers. <laughs> uh, yeah, give us a five star review like Chris did to Attack of the Clones in Empire Magazine. We are just, <laughs> we are every bit as deserving as Attack of the Clones. We were, I can we say that. So well. We were doing so well. <laughs> right, it's, it's been genuinely really, really nice, guys. Thanks so much for coming on, Chris. Really appreciate oh, yeah, it. Oh, yes, Chris. It's been fantastic. Thank you. Just one more thing.